The rule of three states, things that come in threes are inherently more appealing than those that don't. With the next generation GMC Sierra, Canyon, and Sierra Heavy Duty, we couldn't agree more. Whether you choose to have the world's first six-function multi-pro tailgate available only on the next generation GMC Sierra, to confidently take on heavy loads with the available 6.6-liter V8 Duramax turbo diesel in the GMC Sierra Heavy Duty, or to get behind the wheel of the only mid-size premium pickup on the road, the GMC Canyon, you'll realize all three help you do one thing, go professional grade. During GMC's truck month, qualified buyers can get 0% APR financing on most 2019 GMC Sierra and Canyon models. Truck month, like a pro, GMC. Excludes Sierra 1500 AT4 and Denali models and Canyon SL models. Length of contract limited. Some customers will not qualify. Not available with some other offers. Take retail delivery by 531.19. See dealer for details. Hi, this is Tony Ruggiero, the Dew Sweeper. You're about to listen to an episode of The Tour Coach, which is going to give you an inside look at coaching golf at the very highest level from on the PGA Tour with my guys all the way to here at Mobile, Alabama in the Dew Sweeper Dome as we help folks of all skill levels, all walks of life, learn to achieve their golfing goals. In this edition of the Tour Coach, uh, I had the opportunity to sit down with one of the great teachers of all time, one of the people that I would say has the most perspective, not only on golf, but one of the best perspective on life in general. When you look at the fact that uh, what he's done is, you know, he talks about the fact that he's a recovering addict, fought and beaten cancer, and he's from one of the most famous or the most famous teaching and golf families in the game, and that's the Harmon family. If you listen to me, you know what a big fan I am of of his brother Butch and of the Harmons in general and the way they teach, the love they have for the game, and the care they have for their players. And I had the opportunity a few years ago to walk. It was, you know, it was a fair amount of holes, nine holes or more at the U.S. Open with Bill when I was with Lucas. And it's always great, always informative. He sat in on the radio show with me many times. And I enjoy listening to his perspective on what we do as tour coaches and as golf teachers and always admire his quest to keep learning and his perspective on life in general. And I think if you've enjoyed this podcast so far, I think you're going to really enjoy this sit down with Bill Harmon. Great perspective, great insight into what we as tour coaches do week in and week out. And those of us that try to help the regular golf, best golf as well. Hey everyone, if you like free golf gear and specifically Vineyard Vines, which is amazing stuff, we have a giveaway for you. First off, thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm really enjoying the Tour Coach and I hope that it's become part of your weekly routine as well. And we want to help more people find the show, but we need your help. Here's how. Post a screenshot of the Tour Coach podcast episode that you're enjoying the most and tag at Golf Science Lab or Tony at the Dew Sweeper, Instagram, or Twitter are the two places to do that. Post these photos of your favorite episode, tag us, and you are entered to win a Dew Sweeper Vineyard Vines polo and a $100 gift card for Vineyard Vines. Does it get any better than that? So help us share this show. You have two weeks to enter, so limited time. And the more times that you post, the more entries you get. Let's do this. So today we're sitting in with Bill Harmon, one of the great teachers in the game of golf from 
the most famous family of golf instruction. And Bill, one of the things I wanted to talk with you and pick your brain about is she sat in with me several times on the radio. You made a comment once that um, I think it was the last time we talked that I thought was interesting, that it's way harder teaching tour players than people think. You know, I want to kind of expand on that and like the things that you learned from your from your father, who was a great player, great teacher, master's champion. And from your time out there, obviously, caddying for Jay and, and, and the teaching you've done on and around the game with tour players, like your thoughts on, you know, why is teaching tour players different and difficult and so forth? Well, I think if you had somebody that was 50 pounds overweight, <laughs> it'd be pretty easy for them to lose 10 pounds. But if they're 10 pounds overweight, it's not that easy to lose five. And so I think the better the player, the harder it is to improve. You know, Tony, in, in our business, if you are teaching a tour player, if you improve their stroke average one shot, you'd be the best teacher in the world. <laughs> you know, and that would mean millions upon millions of dollars. And if your student increases stroke average one shot, he would lose his job. To lose his card. And so I think it's a very delicate matter. I think nowadays we have a uh, couple generations of players that have always had coaches as kids and college, and so they're used to being coached. And I think our natural instinct is to always improve. But let's say you're the number one player in the world, like let's say Jordan Speed. Mm-hmm. And his instincts are to improve, to get better. And how do I get better? And I think from a teacher's perspective, it would be very difficult to figure out maybe what to work on. And and do you make any wholesale changes to a player who's already the best player in the world? We're not talking about the best player in Mobile, Alabama or Coachella Valley. We're talking about the planet. Right. And so at what point do you leave alone and let uh, experience and self-knowledge be the mentor. It's a very delicate issue. And I think that the Harmons had a, a advantage, and our dad told us to really respect the talented players and don't change things that they do well just for the sake of changing them. So I think it's a very difficult thing to do to have you know really top-notch players and then ascertain what do I change, where can we improve, but I'd be very leery of changing somebody who's already really, really good. So it's a very delicate balance, I believe. I struggled with it, and I know I've made tons of mistakes. You know, but like, we all have. But to me, the hardest thing sometimes is when a player's struggling a little bit. And like, I, I know I, I was way worse at it earlier in my career, and I think I'm getting better. But like, is the avoid the temptation of sometimes like they don't need to change anything. Like they're just, you know, like, cause there's other influences on a player. And like, I think it's, it's easy to just, cause a guy's not hitting it good on a range to start trying things when some, to me, that's, I mean, that's the, it normally doesn't work, I guess is the best way to say it. Yeah. I think you're right. Cause you know, years ago, you know, they say Jack Grout never went to a tournament with Jack Nichols. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad had three assistant pros at one major. <laughs> Dave Marr, Jack Burke, and Dick Mayer. He never went to this tournament. And so I think nowadays, you know, uh, most players have a posse with them, team. And in many cases, it's helped. You know, you look at Molinari and other players. There's, uh, but I think there's also, uh, in many cases, it hasn't helped. And once again, I, I think it's a very delicate uh, issue. I certainly have failed with players. 
Anybody that says they've bought tour players and were always successful, I think they're a little bit delusional. Mm -hmm. And so, like you said, you're much better off, better than you used to be. And I'd like to think that I'm a better teacher today than I was yesterday. But I think to the uh, listeners out there, this thing about teaching the tour player, you know, it's great when they win. And the teacher's out there beating his chest like Tarzan. <laughs> but when they miss three straight cups in a row, you can't find those teachers on, on social media. No. You know, so I think you have to be in it for the long haul. If you're going to play golf, teach golf, be around golf, there's going to be an ebb and a flow. And, you know, Tony, it could be when they're playing good, you know, they miss the green on the third hole of the tournament and they get it up and in, and then they birdie the next two. And then a couple of weeks later, they don't get it up and in on the third hole, and they miss those putts for birdies on the next few right. holes. And all of a sudden, you know, they missed the cut. Now, did you teach better or worse, you know, when you made that up and in? And, and so it's a very delicate balance. And, and I think you just have to, the teacher has to keep his equilibrium also and not panic. But that's hard because usually the player is panicking. talked about the teacher keeping his equilibrium like to me that was a hard thing to learn because you know especially when I first started teaching some guys out there they were guys that I taught like since they were high school you know so you have like a lot of you I mean you're emotionally invested it's hard to not like get super depressed <laughs> when they're missing cuts so they're not playing hard. very very hard to well you like you said you're emotionally involved if you're teaching somebody uh, like you say, you had them as juniors and things like that. You get an attachment to them. And the teacher knows and the players should know that there's going to be slumps. and There's going to be struggles. And the answer always isn't a mathematical equation. And the answer always isn't just one thing, whether he's driving it bad or his irons aren't good. You know, it could be just a confluence of little things. And you make major changes when there's only little problems. And I think that comes with experience. I think it comes with trial and error, which is the way we all learn how to teach. Yeah, you know, I, I you started this segment off, you know, teaching the tour player or the elite player is not all cranked up to what it uh, appears. You mentioned, though, like the guy, you know, the player that's got a bunch of shots to that we could save. A guy that shoots 90 is way easier to, you know, you, it's easier to knock Absolutely. a bunch of strokes off. How do you go? You obviously spend lots of times around tour players. And then, you know, back there you'll have, you know, I call them regular golfers, but the golfing public come in. Is the, are you doing a lot of the same things or is it, is it dramatically different? You know, actually, I, I don't really teach tour players very much. I only kind of set eyes for Jay Haas. I'm no longer kind of, I'm a wonderful friend of Bill Haas, but I don't really teach him anymore. Uh, so I pretty much dedicated all my time to teaching the, the amateurs. I almost feel like I'm an old bull about to put out the pasture. Uh, I think the teaching profession is, is uh, in very good hands with people like you and many of the other great young teachers. And I'm quite comfortable at this stage of my life sitting on the sidelines and watching you guys do your thing, if there's a player that wants uh, my opinion on something, I'd be more than happy to share it with them. But uh, I've kind of turned into a homebody. I haven't been to a tour event. I can't remember the last tour event I was at that wasn't right here in Bob Hope Classic. So uh, I've kind of uh, slowly drifted away from teaching the tour player. 
and I'm having fun watching the, the progress of the players and the progress of the teachers, and I'd, I'd like to think that the Harmon family's had some influence on it, but I think in my case, I'm on the sidelines watching, and I'm, I'm very comfortable doing that. I had a modicum of success with some tour players. You know, I never really taught a lot of tour players. You never really saw me out on tour very much. I think we've seen each other twice right. over the years, and so I don't follow players around. I, I like my home life. I like what I'm doing, and so uh, I'm really not that involved in teaching the tour players anymore. What do you think about the way teaching, I get, you know, since it's kind of about the tour players, has changed over the years since you were out there and you did, I mean, I know you didn't go out and have tons of guys, but you, you know, you caddied obviously and you were out there mm-hmm. and their family's been so involved and in teaching tour players. How have you seen it changed? And like, and, and not that there's a right or a wrong answer, but like, do you think a lot of it's for the good or, you know, and so just what what do you think well, about that? I, I would have to say, yes, it has been for the good, uh, Tony, because we see a lot of beautiful swings out there now, you know, mm-hmm. very technically sound looking swings. But as you know, it isn't always the swing that makes a good player. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of really good stuff going on. My only concern would be is the swing isn't always the answer. Right. I think the answer, uh, once you get a decent swing, then is in the mirror. And uh, Jay Hop told a young player recently that. You know, you can take all the lessons you want. You can have the best coaches and all that stuff. But if you don't learn to hit good shots when you're nervous and scared, none of it will make any difference. And so I think that's the part that uh, if I were going to advise young players and stuff, and I do work with a, you know, a couple younger players and stuff like that are not on the tour right now, but is that it isn't always your swing that's the problem. In many cases, it's you, bad decisions. Bad thinking, carrying fear in your swing, carrying doubt everywhere you go. And uh, I'm not too sure a teacher can drastically change that. So I think, I think technically we're seeing a lot of really good stuff, see a lot of beautiful swings, beautiful setups, so, so on and so forth. But there's still an art to playing the game. And so uh, there's a golf IQ that sometimes track man and flight scope and some of these things can't gauge. And so I like watching players. You know, I watched Tiger very closely at Augusta on Sunday, mm-hmm. and he was locked in, you know. But it's the first time that I really think I've seen him where he had to really work at being locked in. Really? But he got there, mm-hmm. you know, and when he smelled the blood in the water, all these players that allegedly wanted a piece of him, you know, they wanted a piece of that injured tiger. <laughs> <laughs> they got a healthy and confident tiger. And as soon as they started faltering collectively, I might add, some of the very best players in the world, he proceeded to play number 12 through 17 absolutely flawlessly and perfectly. And all the other players made mistakes. They didn't make a lot of drastic mistakes, but they made enough mistakes to open the door to them. And when he got his foot in the door, he stayed in the room. So I like to watch uh, players' body language and things like that uh, when they're playing and in the hunt. And, you know, I thought that was very, very interesting last couple hours of championship golf did, a couple Sundays ago in Augusta. It didn't surprise me. Like I, like once they got to 12 and, the you know, stuff started happening, it was like 
to me, it seemed like you knew exactly how it was going to end up then. I mean, you know, once the... Well, when the odds of four people hitting it in the water there in the last six, mm-hmm. with what a, with, without a lot of wind, right? to have four people shooting at that flag was quite interesting. But uh, there were a whole bunch of mistakes made even after that. You know, mm-hmm. Molinari and Sanders shot, they didn't drive it in the fairway on 15. Those were very critical errors. You know, Kepka hit it up on top on 16, uh, struggled to make a par, great par, really. And he played the last two holes perfect, but didn't convert the putts. Dustin Johnson at the time had a 10 or 12 footer in the last hole, the time he left it short. You know, so there was a confluence of events that there was only one guy that didn't do any of that stuff, and his name was Tiger Woods. He played the last from, he played from 12 to 17 about as perfectly as you could play. I think almost every shot was dead 10 high. And, you know, it was just wonderful golf. And up until then, he was struggling a little bit. But as soon as I think he saw those balls going in the water, I think he said to him, I said, Jesus, I thought you guys wanted a piece of me. Or you ain't going to get me making dumb mistakes like that, you know. Because he really did turn it on after that. It was wonderful golf. It was a clinic in just how to play it golf. It was a clinic. Mm-hmm. So you spent so much time around Jay Haas, I mean, who had such a, I mean, still playing great golf on the Champions Tour, but like around forever. And I always try to encourage my young guys when they get out there. Like, I, I mean, I know you've got your buddies you played college golf with and that are out there, but like, I try to encourage them to go play golf with the guys that have been out there 15, 20 years, you know, because to me, those folks, the Jay Haas's of the world, they figured something out. I mean, like, staying out there that long and being that successful there's something that they're doing and like i think you know young golfers ought to spend time around what those guys have figured out well you know there's a group of guys that three four years ago started playing those money games on tuesday with phil Mm -hmm. and the one thing they all have in common is they're all successful players and so when you watch a guy like phil mickelson you know who has achieved an incredible amount in the era of tiger woods yeah, I'm with you. I, I think you should always play with better players. You should always pick their brains. And you're right, you know, because a lot of these kids today, you know it better than I, because you're so involved with juniors. You know, they play AJGA together. They stay at the same houses. They become great friends. Right. So who do you want to play a practice round with? You want to play them with your buddies, you know? But uh, I know in, in the days I was out, Patty, and I'd be more interested in what Hale Irwin would think, you know? Mm-hmm and some of the, the players that have been around a while and watching them and observing them. So I, I think it's true even on the amateur level, country club level, you're going to get better if, you, if you're if you a 20 handicap and you're always playing with 25 handicaps, you're going to think you're pretty good. But start playing with 10 handicaps, you know, and you might see where this person might not be that much better than you. You know, they make better decisions. Their short game might be a little bit better. But you might find out you're not that far away from being better. But if you're always playing with people that you can beat, I don't think you've really learned that much, personally. You take somebody like Jay Haas or a Hale Irwin, what, what, what is it about them? Or did you figure, not figure anything out, but what is it about those guys that was different that they were able to stay out there so long? I think that they, uh, it's a, I call, call it, they, they knew the value of one stroke. And they were very, very good at looking at a shot and relating it to the time and the event 
I re- I remember heading for Jay somewhere, and we got off to a bad start the first round, and a couple over after four or five holes, and we were on a par five over water, and you know, it was iffy whether to go for it or not. And Jason, let, let's just lay up. I really can't afford to make a six right now. Uh, I can make four maybe if I, if I lay up, but even if I make the five, I just got to keep my feet on the ground and I'm, if I'm good enough, I'll, I'll get it done the next 65 or six holes. And see, that was a discipline because your instincts at two over pars go for it. Mm-hmm. Get it all back right now. So I think there's a patience level. Got to know when to shoot his flags. You know, one of the most conservative players ever in the history of the game, people don't talk about it enough, is Jack Nichols. Right. Jack very rarely shot his flags. He, he was not a, an aggressive player, and I think it's why, for the most part, he didn't win tournaments like Tiger won by 8, 9, 10 shots because he wasn't trying to win by 8, 9, 10 shots. He was just trying to win. Right. And Jack was a very conservative player. Arnold was very aggressive. You know, Hale Irwin was a you know, great tactic technician on the golf course and and so i think when you watch these players there's a lot of guys that got it done but didn't appear to be superior physical talents or physical gifts they fought better and they learned to do what jay said hit good shots when you're nervous and scared so i think golf iq is a big thing my dad talked about it a lot he talked about how ben hogan taught him how to play Craig Wood taught him how to swing, but Ben Hogan taught him how to play. And so there's a lot to that high golf IQ, in my opinion, and making good decisions and smart decisions. You know, and everybody thinks differently under pressure, too. Tony, you know Mm -hmm. that. You work with guys. Sometimes the heat gets on and they think quick and they make mental errors and another guy slows down and makes good decisions. So I I think that's the part that I talked about early on. when does self-knowledge and experience become your number one mentor? The game's obviously changed now with technology, with how far people hit it. Are we producing less tacticians now because of that, where everybody's, you know, they maximize everything on a track man? Well, they don't have to be, you know, because right. they hit it so far and the ball doesn't curve. And the tour doesn't seem to set up courses to penalize people who can't hit it straight. You know, so if you can bomb it down there and hit a sand wedge out of the rough, you can actually spin the ball out of the rough with new equipment. You know, would you rather do that or be in the middle of the fairway with a seven iron? So uh, I, I don't blame the players. I think the, the players are a product of, of what's going on today. So uh, they don't have to be shot made. Right. It's not their fault. I'm sure if they had to be, they could probably figure it out. They're marvelous talented, but ball doesn't curve as much. They hit it so every hole is driving away for these guys. Right. It's actually, I find it really not that much fun watching modern-day golf, personally. I, I don't like it. I really don't. I like seeing them have to hit a five-iron into a par four. You know, they think that's an unfair hole to hit a four-iron into a par three. <laughs> but it's okay to hit a driving an eight-iron into a par five. That's a great hole, you know. So I'm not a big proponent. I, I, I don't find this style of golf I'd rather see one or two over win a tournament every now and then just for the heck of it than 20 under. You look at what happened yesterday at Hilton Head and that, that win. Yep. You know, a lot of guys, uh, tough course, tight course. It doesn't have any length at all, but it, it tests you on every single swing with small greens and 
very narrow fairways. And what 12 under one, I think the winning score was about the same as Augusta National. Right. Well, there, and, and you, how about that? And you see it like, you know, they had, they did some great course setups like the Honda this year down, you know, like down there at, uh, PGA, I mean, like that golf course is a hard golf course, hard drive. I and mean, you looked at like the leaderboard that those places produce. I mean, you see, to me, like you, you see great players and great leaderboards when they, when they do introduce that style of golf where you have to be able to control your golf ball. You have to think where you want to leave it, those types of things. I just think there used to be a penalty for a bad drive. It doesn't have to be one stroke or chip it out, but nowadays there's no penalty. You just bomb it as far as you can and you wedge it on the green and you know, the greens are perfect, and most of these guys have beautiful putting strokes, and, and it's not their fault. It is not the player's fault. It's the equipment has changed, the playing fields have changed, conditions of courses have changed, but the, the tournaments don't appear to set up uh, at almost any course that's going to reward accurate. Yeah. If I was them and I was coaching them, I'd tell them, hit it as far as they could, you know. Shoot at every flag, and if you're on four or five times a year, you're going to win about five or six million. Exactly. And, you know, and, and when you're teaching young players now, I mean, I teach, I teach a bunch of good high school players or college players. Like when you start talking to them about strategy, they look at you like, I mean, it never crosses their mind. I mean, cause they don't play any golf courses. I mean, most of these juniors, I mean, they're not going to play a golf course that's set up like Honda is, or, you know, one of those. I mean, they, they'd never have to do it. You know, and that's why I said, I don't believe it's their fault. Right. Know, and I don't hold it against them because they're just playing the game that's been presented to them, and they're playing it pretty damn good, I might add. Absolutely, so it's just it's just the conditions, and and you know we're all products of our life experiences, and if they've never experienced the U.S. Open rough or the old U.S. Open rough, where you chip out, you had to squeeze the ball in the fairway, you know somehow, some way, you know when you put a lot of rough out there, and the course is tighter, guys don't swing as hard. Mm-hmm. They don't hit it as far, mm-hmm. you know, and so the driving distance comes down. I, I'd be very surprised to see what the driving distance average was at Harbor Town, you know? right? Because you're not going to get up on those holes and air it out on, on that golf course. You got to figure out a way to put the ball in play and, and on the right side of the fairway to get the right angle. So, you know, the shortest course on tour, I believe, is Harbor Town, and traditionally, it usually has some of the higher winning scores. Correct, absolutely. Bill, this has been awesome. As always, I appreciate you taking Thanks, the time buddy. to sit in, and hopefully we can do it again. Appreciate all time, everything you do. I look forward to seeing you, buddy. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Tour Coach with Tony Ruggiero. If you enjoyed this, make sure to hit subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you are listening to this podcast. You can stay up to date because we have weekly episodes coming your way with fascinating people in the world of golf instruction at the highest level make sure to subscribe and stay tuned if you want to learn more about tony head over to dosweepersgolf.com to get all the details on what he's up to maybe you want to see him grab a lesson or go to one of his camps pick up his book lessons from the legends you can do that there if you want to see tony in action with some videos and other content head over to golfsciencelab.com slash tony to get more info there this episode was powered by the golf science lab and was edited, mixed, and produced by Just Hit Published Productions. There's one thing if you know about me, if you've listened to the Dew Sweepers, you've come to listen to me talk, is you know I'm big on loyalty. We give 100% here at the Dew Sweepers. We put a lot of emotional investment into everything we do with every one of our players. 
And the same can be said for our partners and the folks that have been with us for the long haul and help the dew sweepers, help our juniors, help us get to our tour players. And so I want to give a special thanks to our sponsors. Our sponsors are first and foremost, Buick and our local Buick dealers here around the Southeast, Shrixon Cleveland Golf, who've been with me for over a dozen years and their belief and support of what we do here with the dew sweepers. And lastly, the folks at Vineyard Vines. The folks at Vineyard Vines love what we do with junior golf. They support us on the road. There isn't a better family or group of people that are going to help us look our best, play our best, and have more fun than the folks at Vineyard Vines. So special thanks to our sponsors. Please support those as you get the opportunity. And for more information about any of those, check us out at dewsweepersgolf.com, or you can always check me out on Instagram at the dewsweeper.